<laughs> Thanks, you're dismissed. <laughs> wow, what an incredible hard act to follow. Golly. I'm not sure if that sets the tone or kills the tone for the day, but uh, give it again, church history. Woo! <laughs> Ouch. Uh, all right. Hey, so we are, we're talking about this unstoppable force that God has just unleashed in this world today. And uh, this whole entire next six weeks, as Brad pointed out, we're just, we're talking about this. It's, it's unbelievable what God has put into motion. And today is going to be actually a little bit different of a day, um, a, kind of a different time that we're going to spend together in this message period here. We're going to actually kind of do a little bit of a History Channel feel. Any History Channel buffs out there? Yeah, come on, don't be shy, you know. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of the nerdy thing that's actually becoming very cool. And I spend a lot of my time on the History Channel now, uh, checking out the programming there. We're going to kind of do that this morning. We're going to take a survey, kind of a, an overall survey of Acts 1 and 2, and uh, sit in a portion of Scripture and just kind of unwrap how God has, has established and how He has started this unforceable, uh, un unstoppable force in history called the church today. And uh, so if today feels like the Hershey Channel, that's, that's by design. Before we start, though, i got to ask you, come on, first service, any uh, roller coaster buffs out there? Yeah, yeah. You cannot ride a roller coaster and go, whoop, whoop, right, right? It's good, yeah. And you always remember, it's kind of like a rite of passage, you remember your first roller coaster that you've ever been on, right? All the other ones are good, but it's the first one that kind of sets the whole entire pace. And uh, for me, it was Space Mountain at Disneyland in California. Yeah, it's here for Space Mountain. It's good. And I think I was probably six at the time, um, and... and, uh, and, and I, maybe seven, but from the moment of getting into line, this anticipation for me just started to build. And they, I think they do it, they kind of build it that way on purpose, right? In Space Mountain, you go through all the winding hallways and the lighting and the eerie, oh, you know, and, and you hear people screaming in the distance, which at six, I thought they were like being murdered at the moment, you know, and, and I'm huge eyes, and I finally see the train, I'm like, it's here, and you get on, and I'm dead serious, I, I don't even think I blinked or screamed once, I just sat there, <laughs> it was my first roller coaster ever, and, and I just savored the entire thing, and I got off, and I just walked with my dad, and he explains, because I don't really remember too much of this, how this went down. I, we just got outside, and he looks at me and goes, you all right? I'm like, let's go again, you know? And we just went again and again and again and again, and I loved it. It was, it was awesome. And I think uh, since that time, <laughs> it was the pinnacle of all my joy and experience, but since that time, <laughs> I'm kind of hooked. I'm hooked. And, and I'm hooked. I ride the Viper in Magic Mountain. And X, anybody reading X in here? Yeah. Oh, dude, that's phenomenal. Thank you. We'll connect for the rest of the message. You know, it's, it's, phenomenal. It's, this, it's this new fangled roller coaster thing that just like 360 just whips you, whips you all around. And it's, it's amazing. It's phenomenal. And, and I got to tell you, the, the best part of these roller coasters for me is not the most of the ride. The best part of the roller coaster is the launch. It's the launch for me. Okay, case in point. Superman, Superman the Escape at, at Magic Mountain. Oh, it's pretty phenomenal. 
pretty phenomenal. If you've never seen this thing, it's a tower, 41 stories. It just screams straight out of the ground, 41 stories up. It has no loops. It has no upside-downy type things or just weird fangled. And you know what it does? This is, this is amazing. It goes 0 to 60 in 2.9 seconds. Okay, that's an amazing number in case you're wondering. That's amazing. If you're a car buff in here, the Bugatti uh, 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 Veyron is the only other car in production that can actually go that fast. So it's like Superman, the Escape, and the Bugatti. can go 2.9 seconds. The rest of the ride is lame. It's got like a couple minutes of weightlessness. You're like, right, you know, and you go backwards and then you get off. And then you go right around and around. You stand in line for another hour just to experience that 2.9 seconds. It's, it's phenomenal. And if you're with me on this, you'll know. I just, the exhilaration is more than, yeah, I love it. I love it. I love speed. I love the raw power. This morning, as we take a look at this piece of scripture here and kind of soak in it for a couple minutes, I've got to tell you, I, I really believe that this is the type of raw power that the disciples are experiencing here in this moment. This is this launch where, where they're probably at this, the moment that this was written just white-knuckled. They're just kind of hanging on, this, this fear and, and trepidation and just pure elation of what's going on, but, but at the same time, just this huge fear and this excitement, but this fear, at the same, it's in butterflies at this moment in this piece of scripture we're going to take a look in Acts chapter 1 and 2. Because these guys are about ready to launch into this, this unknown of what God is starting called this unstoppable force in all of history. And in Acts chapter 2, God literally pulls the trigger here. And to this day, March 30th, the momentum that God started has not stopped. And so before we get to Acts 2, we've got to rewind the tape a little bit and, and talk about the 50 days in Scripture that has passed between Easter and the crucifixion all the way up into to, to, uh, Acts chapter 2. So here's a little bit of a background story. If you were with us last week, you got some of this. If not, it's easy to catch up. Um, at this point, G uh, Jesus has spent almost three years with his disciples. They've been learning from him. They've witnessed his miracles. They've walked together. They've laughed. They've, they've eaten together. They've sat, under his, or sat underneath his teaching. They were this really tight crew together. But, but in a moment, after that three years, just in a moment, their world comes crashing upside down. Right? Because Jesus is, is totally betrayed by Judas, and he's arrested in the garden, and then he's taken, and he's tried, and he's beaten, and, and he's mocked, and, and then finally he's crucified, stabbed in the side. He dies. He's taken off the cross. He's buried. The disciples, they, they scatter. They're scared. They're weeping. They're, they're fearful. They're, they're ruined. They've lost it all, and, and in an instant... It was, everything was great. Everything was awesome. I mean, can you imagine with me life with the Savior? Hello? <laughs> can, can you imagine a better three years of your life? And, and it's over. And, and, and they have no idea what's going on next. And I'm sure they got together and tried to figure it out, but they don't, they don't know what's going on. And in 72 hours, everything changes. Anybody catch that story on TV about the two daughters that were switched at the, in the accident? pretty amazing story. One family did not know their daughter or thought their daughter was dead only to find out five weeks later that she was actually alive. 
I watched this story on, on 2020 just two nights ago, and many of you saw it, and, and, and I was just holding back tears the whole time because of this roller coaster of emotion that this family was on. Okay, that's, that's what's happening here. Their savior, their, their teacher, their leader has been crucified. He dies, and 72 hours later, they're being told that he's alive. And I bet they're feeling pretty schizophrenic about it. I mean, he's dead, he's alive, what's going on? They, they don't know what's going on. This is a roller coaster, unbelievable. They don't get it. And many of them, we, we see from the scripture over these 40 days, had a very difficult time believing that he was still alive. Jesus appeared to them in the upper room, right? And, and, he, and, and, and some of them, uh, Thomas, I, 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 let me touch you, let me feel you. You know, I can't, show me the marks. But 40 days from his, from his death, his resurrection, 40 days, Jesus still appeared in order to prove it to many of his followers that he was, in fact, alive. What, what was that like? <laughs> what, I, I just have to pause here in Scripture as I read this yesterday, and I'm like, what, what would that have been like to have Jesus just continue to appear? You know, you walk around the corner, and, hey, Peter, hi, Jesus. <laughs> You've got to cut that out, you know? <laughs> and he kept appearing, and I'm taking some liberty here, obviously, but, it, but it, it was a very emotional time, exhilarating, at the same time very scary. This weird dichotomy of emotion just tugging at them all the time. It was an unbelievable moment in history here. And finally, on one of their last times together, 40 days after, one of their last times together before Jesus ascends back to heaven, he meets with them on the hilltop. He says to this, he says, he says I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. And straight out, out of Luke chapter 24 there, he gives an amazing promise. He goes, listen, you guys are not going to be alone. I'm going to send someone. I'm going to send something. But until that time comes, you need to wait. You need to wait. Stay in Jerusalem until it happens. And then Jesus ascends back to heaven. They waited. But if I was in their shoes, this would still be a huge struggle for me. Waiting, waiting for what? <laughs> I spent three years with Jesus, and, and they, ki they killed him. And yeah, he rose from the dead, but there's still a, a formidable enemy out there. Waiting for what? I, I wonder if some of them thought that, you know? What, what are the next steps? Maybe, maybe I should think about going back to my job, or back to my family, or back to farming, or herding, or doctoring. What, uh, what is it these guys did? Or maybe just hiding, wondering, what's life going to be like without Jesus now? But the scripture tells us that they waited. And they waited in Jerusalem for 10 days. 50 days now has passed since this ordeal happened with Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. 50 days. And at this point, it happened. And this is where I feel like <laughs> Superman has left the building, right? 2.9 seconds. This is the launching point, this unstoppable force that, that is carved out here in history. This is the moment in this passage we're going to look at where, where God chooses to establish his kingdom in the New Testament church right here. And there are different points of establishments that he makes in these passages. We're going to point them out as we go along here. So check this out. We're going to work our way through Acts chapter 2. 
and kind of do this survey, starting with uh, this chunk of verses 1 through 4. You'll see it on the screen here. Here's how it starts. On the day of Pentecost, seven weeks after Jesus' resurrection, the believers were meeting together in one place. We've got to point out here that uh, the day of Pentecost, first of all, there's about three different holidays that are really, really important to, uh, to the Jewish people. And this is one of them, the day of Pentecost. And, and, and literally, uh, it, it, it represents 50 days after, after the Passover at this point. And the day of Pentecost, they celebrated it for two different reasons. One, it was really the fruits of the harvest, the first fruits. And so they celebrated this, that the harvest was, was plentiful. But the other thing that they celebrated on this day was, was the fact that law had been given to Moses. And they celebrated the law, the big Ten Commandments. But here's something really wild. Why did God choose this day? Was it just a normal day? Was it just kind of a, oh, we'll just randomly choose this day? I think it's so symbolic as to what we're going to see later on in this passage. That later, towards the end of our reading here, 3,000 people are going to come to know Jesus. Amazing. 3,000 people on this day are going to meet God for the very first time. I think it's great that that happens on the day of harvest. Not only that, but we're going to see here in a few minutes that God ushers in a helper that Jesus spoke about in Luke chapter 24. He ushers in the Holy Spirit, and it changes everything. How fitting that it would happen on the day where law used to reign, and now the rules change. And so on the day of Pentecost, they gathered seven weeks after Jesus' resurrection, and the believers were meeting together in one place. If we could roll back the tape a little bit, and uh, we don't have the, the, the luxury of time to do this right now, but check, take a look at chapter 1 in the book of Acts, we would see that those who were meeting there that day were about 120 of them. So probably uh, the original disciples were there, but 120, and they gathered in a room, most likely the same upper room that they were in to begin with. And what happened this day will forever, forever change their lives. Check this out, verse 2. Suddenly, meaning totally without warning, they had no idea. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm in the skies above them, and it lifted the house where they were meeting. Notice uh, the scripture says that it, it sounded like it was blowing. It wasn't necessarily blowing. It sounded like mass amounts of wind. Okay, so here's the deal. I live in down near Draper. Anybody live in that area? <laughs> Holy crow. When we first moved here and we bought this home and we're laying in there in the, and our, 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 our master bedroom is upstairs and Beth and I are laying there and we, we moved here in the wintertime and our first snow started to hit, it sounds like freight trains are whipping around the mountain. And I just remember holding on to Beth going, you think it's going to hold? You know, because it sounds like this freight train is just banging on our house. And any minute, I'm expecting Wizard of Oz. Just, whoosh, you know, and the roof is gone. I'm like, see ya, you know. And, and I, I hear our, our, our house move and creak. It's very disconcerting. I'm thinking about getting more insurance. But many of you know you live down in the Draper in the South Jordan in the, the, the South Sandy area. And I don't know if it happens other places, but it sure happens down there. And that's what they're experiencing here. This wind is whipping through. It's terrifying. And I've never been in a tornado or a hurricane. But I can imagine what that would sound like. Just, just deafening. 
And the people in this room started to experience that. Here's the scary part. When that happens, you have no control, do you? I'll never forget being in a tent, thinking it was a really good idea one weekend to go backpacking. Spending 18 hours of that in my tent, being just forced down by the greatest winds of my life. And I, I have something, uh, if you backpack, you'll know it's a black diamond mega mid. It has one pole right in the middle. That's it. <laughs> Wrapping myself around that pole. Just get, dear God, just let it hold, let it hold, let it hold, let it hold. Being in the midst of this craziness with no control. More power than they had probably ever experienced before. Verse 3. Then what looked like tongues or flames of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. So, so adding to this roaring sound of wind, and I don't know if the room is shaking and the windows are rattling, whatever, then, then, then a ball of fire flies into the room. I, I don't know if it was like a ball or a lightning bolt or whatever or something, but it looked like fire. And I, I don't know what your response would be to that, but I would, I would probably feel at this moment like, okay, we're totally host. And, and I, I don't know what, what they're doing. They're probably on the ground. Maybe they're underneath the table. Perhaps at this point they've just lost it and they're screaming, holding on to each other. Maybe some of them are just standing like, you know, my first roller coaster experience, just in awe, you know, of, of what's happening, what's transpiring. But, but this is very peculiar. The, 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 the flames that look like fire, not necessarily fire, but it looks like flames and tongues of fire, something like it, comes into the room, and it doesn't stay together, though. It begins to, what's it say? It, it settles, it breaks up, and it settles upon them, which means it, it comes apart, and it goes and it settles upon them. Now notice, it just doesn't settle upon the heads of the leaders, Peter, James, and John. That, that's, that's not what happens here. The verse says it settles on each of them, every person in the room. Are you imagining this, this picture? Okay, lots of wind, lots of craziness, lots of sound, deafening, crazy. Fire flies in, and suddenly you're looking at your friend, and there's a flame above their head. These are portions of the scripture where I just have to pause and go, Okay, that's weird. And if you're here at church for the first time today, you're probably thinking, I told you, this is weird. And I'm telling you, I grew up in the church. This is weird. It's weird. But it just didn't happen to the leadership. It just didn't happen to the, the men, the leaders. It happened to everybody that was around. Everybody in the room. The flames settled on their heads. Verse 4 answers the question. What, what's up with that? What, what, what is this? Check it out, verse 4. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. In short, what was the flames? It was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God. Here's the first major establishment in the Scripture that we see here. God, in this time, and through his unstoppable force called the church, God has established his spirit in us. Now, don't, don't move too quickly past that point, because that, that is profound. And I, I can't do it justice this morning in the short time that we have together, but I promise you, if you come back next week, this will be the topic on the table. 
of what it means to have God's Spirit established in us. In the weeks to come, we're going to flesh that out. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? What does it mean to have God's presence dwelling in you? Why is that significant? At face value, I can tell you that's significant because it's never happened before. It has never been a permanent fixture that we see here right now. It never had the Spirit of God permanently dwelt and as the Holy Spirit in man ever in the Scripture. Okay, so we, we see the Holy Spirit's work throughout the Old Testament. There's many passages where He's working, but never, ever, ever before was this the case. And so here are the disciples mourning that, that Jesus is God, perplexed, maybe excited, schizophrenic, you know, just emotion everywhere, everywhere. And suddenly Jesus is gone, feeling like maybe they're deserted, but Jesus' promise, he says, don't forget what, what's been promised here, I will send one, the Holy Spirit has now shown up. The question that you're probably asking, that I was asking as I'm reading this passage is, okay, why fire? <laughs> Why fire? Could there have been something a little less subtle, you know? But, but fire is such a, sim, a great symbol, and we see it all the way through the Old Testament. There's many, many portions of Scripture that deal with this symbol of fire. I mean, some, some of the obvious ones are that, that, that we see is on Mount Sinai, when, when Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments, right? Fire came down, boom, right in that spot right there. Came down in one spot. The Israelites, when they were led through the, through the desert, Right? They were led during the day by what? A pillar of uh, clouds. One pillar of cloud. At night, they were led by a pillar of fire. One pillar of fire that they all looked to and they all followed. What's significant here is how this fire has come down, spread throughout the room, falls upon every believer there, and God's presence is available permanently to every person. No longer are they just following one pillar. Every single person has full privilege rights, if you will, because God has established his spirit in us. Okay, that changes everything. You want to talk about why there's an unstoppable force today? It's because God's presence is in us. It's powerful. But what the Holy Spirit do? Check it out again in verse 4. It's probably on the screen there. He begins and begins speaking in other languages. Sometimes the Holy Spirit through, through God's scripture that we see shows up and makes himself known, maybe visible or audible or, or, or touchable manifestations. But here, not only is he visible flames of fire, but he's enabling the disciples to literally speak in other languages. What's the purpose of that? Verse 5. Godly Jews from many nations were living in Jerusalem at the time. And when they heard this sound, okay, they're living in Jerusalem, they heard the sound. Does that give you an idea how loud that was turned up? When they heard the sound, they came running to see what it was all about. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Verse 7. And they were beside themselves with wonders. How can this be? Okay, how, how is this happening? What, what? What's going down here that I'm understanding you in my own language? These people are from Galilee, verse 8, and yet we hear them speaking in the languages of the lands where we were born. Such, such an event like this could not help but attract crowds. Would you not be interested? I mean, we pause on the freeway just for a bumper, you know, a little bumper crash. 
Would you pause if you heard this, this roaring sound and people walking around with flames? I would pause. Some of you would run. I may run. I may run. I may pause then run. But it attracts attention. And this crowd starts to gather. And, and first on the scene are godly Jews. And they were living in Jerusalem at the time, and they were among what they would be called the scattering. And the scattering was, was families who had been driven from Jerusalem, and they were forced to live in other nations, but, but since that time, they had, been, they had returned to Jerusalem, and they were living there. These, these people, born and raised in other nations, returning, and they, they had different languages that they spoke, and so they were bewildered. In, in, in the Greek here, the word is dialecto, which we get our English word dialect. They were bewildered to hear their dialect, meaning, right there in the scripture, their own languages. That blew them away. Here's, here's, the, here's the second establishment that we see that God, God does in this passage here. Not only is he establishing his spirit in us in Acts chapter 2 here, but this is very important. He establishes his mission he establishes his mission, his purpose, through us. So the Holy Spirit comes and indwells men permanently. But not only that, but there's, there's something missional going on here. These men, these, these followers, these women start speaking in other languages. Why? Why? What's the purpose? Because it became this perfect platform, this, this crowd gathering, this perfect, uh, perfect international multilingual gathering, this perfect platform for establishing the worldwide mission of the church. And that is to take the gospel to all men. Listen, you may have heard it said, God's plan A is us. We've talked about this before that why, why didn't he choose other ways to do this? He, he could have written his, his whole entire plan in the sky permanently, couldn't he? He didn't do that. God is missional through us. He chose us to carry on the good news of what his son, Jesus Christ, did for us. He, to carry on this good news of grace and, and love to this world and forgiveness. And today is the day where missionally he sets that, he establishes it right here in Acts chapter 2. Then something amazing happens, and Peter steps up. We're going to skip down to verse 38. It's kind of a long passage. Let me read it here for, uh, in verse 38. Peter replied, each of you. And at this point, by the way, I need to point out that godly Jews had gathered, but then we, we know from reading here that the, the crowd grew because <laughs> there's just all kinds of bystanders. And it grew, and it became a mixed crowd. And Peter replied, each of you must turn from your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. And then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourself from this generation that has gone astray. Those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church, about 3,000 in all. Did you cast 3,000 in all? That would be all three services here today times three. 3,000 people responded to this message. Verse 42, they joined with the other believers and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and sharing in the Lord's Supper and in prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. 
and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together constantly, and they shared everything they had, and they sold their possessions, and they shared the proceeds with those in need, and they worshiped in the temple each day. They met in, the, in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. And what does it sound like to you? What's it sound like? It's the church. It's the first church in verse 47. All, they did all of this while, while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day the Lord added to their, their group those who were being saved. On this remarkable launch day, God establishes in Acts chapter 2, His Spirit in us. God, God establishes his, his mission, His purpose through us. And then these verses that we just read here, verse 38 through, through 47 here, God established His church with us. And that day, that day, 3,000 were added to the church. Why is this significant? Because at this point, it exploded. And it became this unstoppable force that to this day still has incredible momentum. There's a great author, Rodney Stark, and uh, he wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity. And I don't know how he actually came up with all this estimation. He's got some great formulas and all kinds of historical background. But the bottom line is he estimates that by A.D. 100, all right, so that's just 70 years later, by A.D. 100, there was over 25,000 followers of Christ, 25,000 followers. He also estimates historically that by 310 A.D. that that number had grown. That number had actually grown to 20 million followers of Jesus Christ. That's phenomenal. That's amazing. And, and, and the question that, that Stark asks in his book is, okay, so how'd they do that? <laughs> how, how, okay, how did that happen? How is it that, that they went from being this small movement to the most significant religious unstoppable force in, in the Roman Empire in just two centuries? And before he, he answers, he factors in a few other things that I want to share with you really quick. He says, one, to factor into your response, how did they do that? That Number one, they were an illegal religion throughout this period. At best, they were probably tolerated. At worst, they were severely persecuted. Not only that, but they didn't have any church buildings. Right? They didn't have anything like this. They, they didn't have any scripture, really all of the scripture that we have and we know today. Not all of that was even available to them. Four, they, they didn't have an institution or any sort of professional form of leadership normally associated with it. That was absent. They didn't have flashy services or, or, or youth groups or seminar or great phenomenal bands or associated, all this, or, or biblical commentaries or all this stuff. They didn't have that. You know, they... They, they, in fact, made it actually fairly difficult to join the church. Wow, what a great closing plan that is. <laughs> hey, join our movement. It's going to be really hard. They did that. Why? Because they had this significant initiated, uh, initiation uh, period to prove that the person joining was actually worthy to join the church. And they exploded and went to 20 million. And before you actually think that this is just kind of a freak of history, Stark turns this, this corner in his book, The Rise of Christianity. And he says, listen, this is not the only special time in history that this has happened. And he begins to cite an example of the underground Chinese church. In 1949, Mao uh, 
uh, Mao, Mao Tung, I can't, I can't say his name properly, Mao Stanley Chong, I think, took power of communist China. And he systematically started to purge all religions from society. And at this time, the, the Christian church in China was actually very well, well established. And, and they estimated in, in 1949 that there was about 2 million Christians in China. But Mao banished all foreign uh, missionaries, all foreign ministers. He, he nationalized all church property that was privately owned. He took over that. He systematically started to kill all senior leadership of these churches. Not only that, but he went down to the second and the third level of leadership, and he either killed them or started to imprison them. He banned all, all public meetings. He threatened people with death or torture. And once all that had taken place, he began to persecute the Christians in China in 1949 and the years following in probably some of the cruelest ways that are, are imaginable in history. And at the end of, of Mao's rule in the late 70s, and at the end of what, what we, we call you know, the bamboo curtain coming down in the early 80s, at the end of that time, for the first time in years, foreign missionaries were allowed to go back in. They, they, expected, they expected to find this, this country, the, the, the church in China, just completely decimated, weak. But what they found blew them away. They estimated that the church had grown in the early 80s from 2 million to over 60 million believers. Today, um, as many as 80 million believers. And can I just remind you again here that these guys, were they were like the early church in China. They... They had very few Bibles, and in fact, Stark talks about how, how each home little underground church would, would take one piece of Scripture and read it and study it and then pass that sheet, that page, onto the next church. They, they didn't have any professional clergy. They didn't have any real professional pastors. There was no central organization. There was no mass meetings, and yet they grew like mad. How? How did that happen? I think it goes back to Acts 2, this unstoppable force that we're going to take six weeks talking about that God has unleashed on this planet, starting with establishing His Spirit in us, <laughs> starting with establishing His mission through us, and then establishing His church with us. As we move into a time of worship this morning, and Ben, why don't you guys come on up? I want to I want to just challenge you with a couple, couple thoughts here as we move from this kind of. This this kind of this history overview. Into this 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 twenty first century that we live in. I need to ask you. Do you believe that this is available to you today? Because everything that I see in history says that this momentum is still going. That this force that God has, has just launched and pulled the trigger on has never stopped growing. And my question for you is, what is stopping you? What is stopping you in your spirit or your heart from 
from, from ex- experiencing the most thrilling, the most heart-pounding, exhilarating ride of your life? What, what is coming in between you and that? And for some of you, it, it may be that, that you're sitting here just trying to figure out the first step, and that is, what does God mean to me? How do I reconcile myself with God? And, and I'm not even sure I believe all of who He is, and I don't understand all of who He is. And I need to tell you, if that's you, that you are in a great place. But some of you sitting in here have already made that decision with Jesus Christ. And you're still not experiencing that thrilling ride. Over the next six weeks, we're going to challenge you to engage with that. Second question I have for you is, do you want to be a part of something big? Because here in Salt Lake City, that's what K2 is going to be about. We don't do church just, just to do church and, and do the great music and the video and, and all this stuff. I could care less about that. The reason why K2 the church exists on 2100 South is to be an unstoppable force in the kingdom of God. If we ever stop being that, we will close this place down. And God is calling us to join him in one of the greatest stories that have ever been written. In the next six weeks, you're going to find out how critical, how critical your role is in that story. As we move into some worship, I, I want you to just really soak in these, these words of the song we're going to sing here. John Waller, he sums it up by saying this. He says, I want to see something I've not seen, something so big. I want to be part of something great greater than me. It's time to dream big dreams, to see your vision become reality because it's for you, by you, and those who love you want to do something so big that it's destined to fail without you, Lord. Today, God is inviting you to engage in that ride. Will you join him? Pray with me. God, we could spend more hours, we could spend a lifetime talking through this passage of your great provisions for us, your amazing love, your phenomenal power that is unleashed. I feel like we just have have just barely licked our tongues to just the top layer. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much that you came true on your promise by sending us a holy Holy Spirit that dwells within us, that we are not alone. God, thank you so much that you partner with us and missionally, purposefully to take your word to this world. And then thank you, God, that you have set up a community, a body for us to do it in. Lord, today we give you all honor and praise. It's with great anticipation, God, we wait and we see this plan that you're unfolding, this force that is just in, in motion right now for Salt Lake City. And we love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. As we enter into a time of worship, we, uh, we're going to start off by, by taking some, some gifts and taking up our offering this morning. And, and again, I want to remind you that uh, the God, God doesn't need your money. Last time I checked, he's, he's, uh, he's got all the resources in the world, but he does need your heart. And if today you are feeling out of gratitude that you want to give back to him, not to K2, the church, 
but to give back to God. Please participate in that as an act of worship. But if you are here visiting, feel free to let that pass you by. Let's worship.